The Human Centric Podcast. The podcast all about the talents of today and tomorrow. Presented by Deutsche Telekom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to the Madness of Human Centricity and the Human Centric Podcast. We have a great one for you this time, guys. It goes a little bit to a lot of places, but it's given me some real epiphanies and it deals with a lot of very central topics. Svetlana, who is it who's in front of the microphone with us this time? We had Florian Schubert. Uh, Florian is a senior innovation manager, a business builder in Swiss Re, that's reinsurance company. And the topic we discussed today was actually making work human and human centricity at work, in leadership, in innovation, in connection to the customers. We did go into lots of angles and places. We did have lots of laughs. laughs. Yeah, Those are moments. Did. So, yeah, but I, th I really enjoyed the conversation, Hannah. And more than anything, I think the CV of Florian really does not describe the person you're about to meet. Because this is a fireworks of a rainbow guy with a lot of topics. And experience. A lot of thoughts in his head. Yes. Listen up. Okay. Welcome to the Human Centric Podcast. Today, uh, we have a very special episode. We have a fantastic guest present with us, Florian Schubert. Florian comes from the insurance and reinsurance industry. But the beauty of having Florian is actually not just talking about insurance and the business, it's actually talking about human centricity. So if you check out Florian's LinkedIn profile, you can count more than 15 times. I think Florian, it says that you are a mentor, a coach, a customer, that you're supporting organizations and small teams and companies and how to become much more customer centric and much more human centric. And we have been running this podcast for quite some months. Honey, and I think this episode can be the one embracing it all together and actually diving into the human centricity. Welcome, Florian. Hello. Welcome, Hello. Florian. Hi. Nice to see you again. So I just heard, Svetlana, that someone in our staff here, she was saying she's just delivered her master's degree and the master's degree is kind of human centric. And she was given such good feedback on having chosen that topic. So it seems to be a hot topic out there. And I'm so super happy to be discussing it with you today, Florian. How are you in Munich? Life good? Life good. Life is opening up again, right? I got my first shot of vaccination. So summer came. It's a little bit humid and a little bit tough for sleeping these days. But I decided not to complain <laughs> and I really do enjoy it. Okay, so here we are. I've just done this thing to you. And this this discussion we had in the prep call, wasn't it, Florian? Because I just asked you, how are you? And then in we go to something personal. But you had this whole philosophy around how are you and how that's changed during COVID. Take us there. What is it you wanted to describe for us? I mean, that was one of my personal strongest learning during the pandemic now because in the business environment certainly we always had this how are you at the very beginning and i mean it's best answered in english with a very short how are you too right and it's just like no content was delivered but during the pandemic and i really loved it personally people honestly asked about other people and ask how are you right and then people opened up 
because most people didn't feel too well with this pressing and very special situation. And another thing that happened with the how are you, for me personally, is sitting in home office. It brought so much humanity into it, right? Because there were children playing, for example, in the back of the video call, or dogs and cats jumped on the table and got cuddled. And so this human side that often we tend to kind of neglect in corporate environment immediately was there. And my humble opinion, personally speaking, I super much enjoyed it and still enjoy it. There are so many juxtapositions in here. So here we are suddenly further away from each other because we can't be in the same room. And then at the same time, there's actually bigger intimacy because you're you're in someone's living room or bedroom even. It's been absurd for sure. I've had an experience. I was in a super strict, quite formal client meeting with a woman I really didn't know very well. And I was feeling a bit frightened to kind of break the ice and try to be me. And she was being very formal. And then suddenly a kind of a cat's tail came across the screen. And then we both kind of cracked up. And that's it, isn't it? It creates juice. It creates like fellowship. And you just get on with getting on. Well, just so we understand who it is we have before us for. And so we've done your LinkedIn description. What can you tell us about your story? We just want to start there. Just take us to what's important in your life. What are the significant things that have, have shaped you into where you are today? As introduced, I'm an insurance guy. And hopefully we will not talk too much about insurance today, right? <laughs> because I think that it's a topic we're talking about applying everywhere, right? So it's not definitely not about insurance. But I'm an insurance beast, better to say a reinsurance beast. Reinsurance, for those who don't know, simply means companies that are insuring insurance companies. I was with Munich Re for a very long time, then changed to Swiss Re. That's my corporate background, so to say, but my heart and my soul was always very much into the innovation space. I mean, already said, I started to be a startup coach and mentor for some pretty famous operations like Plug and Play, Techstars, Start and Bootcamp and the folks alike. And I really loved it because once again there, it's about human interaction and it's about giving something back because I'm very happy and grateful for the job I have. Yeah, and starting with this kind of two hearts beating in my uh, breast, the corporate one and the innovation private one, I decided to also take that as my corporate role and started to take in various innovation roles at work. Yes, and also there in innovation, I mean, it was already touched <coughs> on a little bit. I mean, one part that really changed my overall working life was when I got my training around human-centered design, design thinking and all that stuff. Because, I mean, I was that classical insurance guy, right? 15 years in the industry, knowing everything. I do know what the customer wants and needs. And then you do that training. They force you to prototype, test and get feedback. And you go on the street and the potential buyers or users simply crush you. They immediately tell you, nope, our world looks different. And this enlightenment, this grace of getting feedback really yeah. changed something in me. And afterwards, I always choose roles where I've had very frequent interaction with potential buyers, users and customers. 
So let's just go here because it's a beautiful point. Also, maybe for people who haven't heard about design thinking before, it's because Nathan Furr is a kind of source of some of this material, isn't he? And if we look at the methodology for designing and innovating, it's got this lovely humbleness to it, which is instead of thinking that you know what the customer is going to want, you actually go out there and you go, excuse me, can I have a moment of your time? It's just such a basic principle, isn't it? And yet it is such a game changer. And now you've been doing that for what, 15 years? Something like this. Not, I would say yeah. more 10 than 15, to be honest, but yeah. That must mean you were one of the pioneers. The concepts existed. I think it's more about that corporate culture changed, right? I mean, we have been right. trained and biased to kind of know everything. We've been sitting there in our ivory tower and I mean, it's understandable, right? We hire very well-trained people, people with experience, and we always relied on this experience. And we always trusted the people. And to a certain extent, and this is now referring to the times we're living in that are massively changing, in former mm -hmm. times when the future was way more predictable than today, it was kind of okay to run your business solely with specialists, having the expertise, having the training, having the knowledge, and simply predicting what people will need in the future. Today, in this highly globalized, interconnected, fast-changing digital times, it's not that easy anymore. But fully buying into what you said, and I can only build on that, I mean, how special is it, right? All we do is talk very early in the development process of products, services, or also in our case, insurance products. Simply talk early with those who might buy it, right? It's such yeah, a yeah. simple thing, and still it has such a huge impact. I spoke to a bank about this here in Norway uh, not so many years ago, and they were pretty early. They came back, I remember, from Silicon Valley. They went on a study tour to Silicon Valley in like 2013 yeah. or something. And they kind of came back and they went, hello, hello, everything needs to change, you know, because, of course, the bank industry was going through the biggest disruption I think I've witnessed in the last 10 years. I mean, imagine what they used to be and imagine who they are today. And the, one of them described it really well. He said, before, as a bank, you could kind of go out into the future see what was the head, and then you could turn around and go, so now, dear customer, here's a product we'd like you to introduce to you that you might need in your future. But now they're saying everything changes so quickly that all you can do is float alongside your client. And now together, you're looking at the surroundings around you, the present tense, and you're going, okay, okay, what can we create together? So collaboration becomes much more a part of, uh, of innovation these days too, doesn't it? Collaboration is, in my humble opinion, the utmost key towards the future. Also, our team in my company has uh, the task to build up how we call it cross-industry cooperation. That means not only working together with the customer by certain human-centered design principles, but we're also joining forces with former, at least perceived competitors or industries that are far away from insurance, like automotive or the automobile manufacturers or retailers or startups or folks alike, or tech companies, for example. So 
I think you absolutely nail it. In so fast-changing times, it's not the single genius that can define the way into the future. It's about collaboration, it's about co-creation, and it's about joining forces for the customer's best. Oh, such an important topic. Svetlana, would you like to go a little bit deeper? Yes, definitely, Florian. And you know, as a senior innovation manager and a business builder and developer in Swiss Re, you already started defining the innovation and what it means for the customer. I introduce you also as the one connecting the dots in our human-centric podcast because human centricity and lies at the heart of innovation. Human centricity lies at the heart of the companies to attract talent to come and work and innovate. Tell us a bit more. What do you mean by human centricity in innovation? What is it for you? Is it just collaboration? Is it asking the customer? So what is human centricity for the innovation as a topic? I think at the very end, everything we do is human, right? Because it's human acting, it's humans developing, it's humans buying it. We had now a phase where we assumed tech would be the most important part of the story because we saw all these great tech developments that just super fascinated us. I'm a man. We love to play. I'm 44, but it's still that inner child living in me. And guess how much I loved it to play games on my cell phone, where in former days I needed a room-sized computer to do so. But I think at the end, and this is what we should recall over and over again, it's the human aspect that drives everything. Let's just ask a question. When did you buy a shoe because of all the technical features? At the very end, we pretend to be... <laughs> That's a women's question, yes, but I'm also collecting, not collecting, I'm wearing sneakers. And it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not because it's super nice to walk in them. It's the design, it's the emotions that drive me. And also with successful products, you can see it. There's this emotional hook attached to it. The reason why people use it is because they like to use it and it gives them um, certain services. But at the very end, nobody has a mobile phone with a touchscreen because he or she loves touchscreens, right? It's because that, <laughs> that, that feeling that comes with it. I guess it just recall at the beginning how cool you felt when you had a touchscreen mobile phone. I mean, nobody was was talking about the phone. I, I, I hope that people will talk about me, not the phone, you know, because I'm not a cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love how you're saying that human centricity actually embraces emotions. When you don't take it separately as something which only you can have at home, but actually it's a part of what you have with the customer and part of what you have in the corporate environment. And it's actually a fundamental part. Right. I just had this vision, guys. I just had this imagination that 20 years from now, someone would listen into this podcast. And I am so curious what this would mean to them, like where emotional intelligence, where human centricity, where the human at heart and where emotions and longings like you're describing, uh, uh, Florian, where it all belongs in the future of corporations. 
it's super interesting, isn't and it? By, because yeah. in, in sorry, in 20 years we are on the edge of Ray Kurzweil's uh, singularity theorems, right? Where humans and machines might merge to a certain extent. So this opens up yeah. a complete new field, which I am neither clever enough nor would dare to assume how the world looks like then. No, no, no. And then we'll have this thing called CRISPR too. That's what my, my son-in-law is saying this. CRISPR will come and save us health-wise. And then we'll have this intelligence being blended with artificial intelligence. And God knows where we are. <laughs> God knows, yeah. And then we'll all be 200 years old and looking like we're 40 and with like a, a immense intelligence. It'll all be cool. <laughs> I'm desperately counting on that, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, me too. Oh, come on. But one thing for sure, Hannah, emotions will stay. Yeah, emotions will stay even in this AI world. Certainly. Okay, we're going off on the topic here, but That's interesting because we develop so much science and robotic science to do with human intelligence and we dive so much into the brain. But how can AI support emotional intelligence? Does it support emotional intelligence? Someday we at least hope it will, right? But I mean, then it gets super, super complicated, right? It gets complicated on the tech side a way bigger computational power will be needed to do though. And then I think we were touching deeper into this field. I'm not an expert on it. I just read about it. But I think for real intelligence, you need to have emotions and you need to have ethics, right? So what we have now, now I mean AI is kind of, I mean, there might be people out there killing me now, but it's a little bit of math, right? It's stochastic and stuff right. like that. And with all the good and all the bad, I mean, there are huge and interesting books and research written and done on the topic of bias, ethnical, moral issues in AI. I mean, much of the AI learns on uh, data that has been uh, formally processed by humans, right? And the moment a human decides, let's take an example from the insurance industry, claims processes, deciding whether something is fraud or not. I mean, when you, when you work, let's say, on picture recognition and stuff like that, and the training set holds pictures that has been formally processed, looked at, decided by human beings, I mean, there is bias. There's cultural bias, age, gender bias, everything is in there. Certainly there are Absolutely. countermeasures taken, but however, I mean, also an AI can get super biased. And so let's see so, where it comes to. I mean, I love this example. Yes. I don't know who heard about Ty, this bot Microsoft launched on Twitter and he learned from Twitter posts, right? And it was shut down 16 hours later because it turned into the most racist, right-wing, women, gay, whatsoever-hating AI. And why? It learned on posts human did on Twitter. 
oh God, I don't want to hear this. This is like an interpretation of humanity. Oh my God, that's so scary. But Svetlana. What I'm also listening and reflecting on and the more I observe technology developments and the more I observe what we are discussing right now with innovation and with the, you know, COVID, when we all go home and we connect from our devices in the kitchens, in the bedrooms, in the profession of HR, in the profession of organization where you work with people and leaders, I think it all makes us go back to the basics. So basically, we go back to humanity and we ask ourselves, you know, what is it that makes people work better? What makes people deliver more value than machines? Where can people deliver more value than machines? And what do people value at work? And you go back into the basic elements. If you don't talk right now about, you know, compensation, benefits and salary, you go back to the sense of belonging. Yeah, you go back to connection to your teams, to people, to the teamwork, to the trust, to the co-creation and to the moments that you're creating at work. So the HR, the human enterprise work goes back to the basic human needs and talent also selects a company in that regard. Where do I really have a belonging? And the question, what is belonging and how to generate it, you know, how to create the environment which is really human-centric and takes my needs into account. This is really basic, basic questions, right? Even though we have AI coming up, even though we have, you know, right now COVID disruption and this digital transformation of the companies, the questions remain to be super fundamental and super basics. It's all kind of going back to the, back to the core, to, isn't to the it? Core. And the, yeah. What's coming up for me, Florian, because it's also something we wanted to discuss with you. To me, everything we've kind of spoken about so far in this episode leads me to at least one corner of a conversation we, we very much need to enter into. And that is about hierarchy. Because the hierarchies are super duper changing these days, aren't they? Because like you said... I can no longer be an expert. I can no longer be a specialist in something because that's all changing so quickly. And I speak to a lot of people out there in corporations about, you know, the, the issues of age and authority these days, because suddenly the youngsters are sitting on all the knowledge. And here we are, you come to my age and you're kind of feeling you're over the hill. You're not going to be on top of the new stuff anymore. So there are so many. Oh, stop laughing! <laughs> so there are so many. There are so many. I didn't. Um, I didn't just for the record. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there will be a day when I say that sentence and nobody laughs anymore, and that's when it gets serious. In the meantime, I think the idea of, you know, the ultimate achievement that has been out there, kind of as the golden goal for the corporate world for so many decades, has been to get to the top. You get to the top, you become the CEO or you become the CTO, or you become the head of something or you grow your own company, you earn more money, more than less, you know more than knowing less. And all of those goals are kind of, I mean, they're still, of course, completely driving us, but they do seem to be somehow flattening out and changing and altering. That was a huge introduction. Florin, what can we say about leadership in this day and age in view of everything we're now talking about? Yeah, it's, it's special and it's different, right? I mean, you pointed to some very, very valid and interesting points and also super biased points, right? As we were talking about biased AI, why does age count? Why does gender still count this much? 
I mean, that annoys me to a tremendous extent, or I mean, just referring to what is happening these days, because today we're going to have this football game, Germany versus Hungary, and the whole discussion around lighting the Munich arena in rainbow colors. I mean, why are we still so much focusing on our differences? I mean, yeah. differences is what make the world worth living in, right? The good word, when you don't want to use difference, then it's diversity, right? And diversity is key for everything. Just imagine how boring your life would be when all your friends would be like, like me. I mean, that's the worst assumption, but however. But no, coming back to the initial question about leadership, I think we are really on the edge of something new. We've been touching on that earlier. I mean, mm. the leader's role coming with gender, age, was about setting a vision, right? Setting a vision that people followed afterwards, which is, was fully okay, don't get me wrong, and is still fully okay, but it is only applicable when the solution to a problem is known and straightforward, right? And in ever right. faster times we are now living in, it's so hard to predict the future. It's so hard what the solution will be. And this is fully okay, old leadership, let's call it like this. But I mean, that might be the moment where we could raise that word of a VUCA world, right? With all that volatility that's there, you need to be flexible. You need to be, what is right today might be wrong in two years or even one year time, right? All this uncertainty, hard to predict the future kind of gets into a position of this old way of leading. Also the complexity that digital interaction brings, globalization brings. I mean, so much will not be decided by your own, right? It will be taken into your company by external forces. Yeah, and last but not least, the ambiguity thing. And that is why I'm talking about the edge, right? It's not possible anymore to predict what the future will look like. And therefore, I think leadership tremendously needs to change because leadership will be about setting out a context, an environment and a culture within people feel safe, feel appreciated and can work or do the hard job of innovating. And once in a book I read, somebody said, it's way more about setting the stage and not performing on it as a leader. Oh, that is excellent. That is a brilliant saying. So as a leader, I need to hear that again. It's not about being on the stage, but it's about setting the stage for others and I guess yourself to perform. That is brilliant. What's coming up for me too is the, because this eternal ask for like how to do change management. And I'm like, forget it. These days, everything is change management. Everything is in constant change. And so the feelings of uncertainty, the feelings of not knowing what is there in the future, just makes it even more important to lead for trust, to lead for connection, to lead for a feeling of security where it can be found, to focus on what we can do, as opposed to all the stuff we don't know. There's some good directions for leaders in what you just said, I think. That's brilliant. It's so self-explanatory, but take me there. Diversity. Of course, it's connected to innovation, isn't it? That's a silly question. That's not even a question. Can I go beneath it? Can you go how? 
tell me how it relates. What happens when we are diverse and manage to co-create? Absolutely. I mean, it opens up the option space, right? Having all these different points of views, having all that different bias, having all this different history of persons and all that comes together with that helps you. And I think not only in an innovative setting, right? Basically every time and everywhere to see options you personally might not have seen yet. And uh, especially when we talk, I mean, about the leadership principles and so on for the future. I mean, going into the future today means not doing that one big bet, but trying different directions. And what comes with diversity is different ideas, right? And I think being a leader in the future simply means that you, and you've been talking about community, right? It's about why do we belong to this operation? Why do we belong to this journey we're doing together? And it's all about a sense of community. So what's our purpose? Why are we doing that? And how do we do that? How do we engage? What are the rules how we want to treat each other? And last but not least, and I think this is super rising these days, also seeing Generation Alpha, Generation Z and so on. It's about values, right? Values team internally, but also values externally, like sustainability and stuff like this. And coming with diversity, as I said, is this huge bunch of ideas. And being a leader means you need to set a stage where these ideas can just rub against each other, where you create an environment that allows these ideas to be open, to have these multiple approaches, to give people time to... Yeah, to fight with each other, there might, in a positive way, don't get me wrong, there might even be conflicting ideas. But I think what is super important in the future is like, there are solely happening good, fast decisions, right? Innovation, the, the merger of something new needs time. So give the people an environment, a culture where these ideas can just yeah, mingle around, rub, rub each sense. other. Yeah. I mean, there's this expression of creative vibration around that and work on it until you find the best. I mean, having an option A and B and fastly go for a compromise, you mostly end up in something mediocre, right? Superior is built over time and develop. It merges, it arises, right? It's solely there at the very beginning. After having this abrasion, this rubbing on each other, you see, oh, okay, it's not only A and B, there might be C. And the funny thing is, I refer to it, it's called creative abrasion, it's called conflict and so on. But at the end, it's yes. all meant positive, right? It's about collaboration, not fighting against each other. Yeah. And I think this is really beautiful and I love this. So you're talking about creating momentum, setting the stage, having the culture, having ideas, you know, operating parallel with each other and maybe rubbing in each other until they mature and until, you know, one of them or two of them become actual reality. And all of it is an art, Florian. 
really an art. It's an art of leadership. It's an art of human connections. It's an art of human skills. And I just recently read somewhere that, you know, there's a trend that STEM skills will be super important in the future. So STEM, which is science, technology, you know, mathematics, this is what we are all aiming for, to have STEM skills in the company. But now I heard an expression called STEAM. So it's STEM with an A. S-T-E-A-M. They added art as one of the critical skill set or capabilities of the future. Because again, the more machines you have, the more AI is in there, you need to have more of that creating the stage for the teams to collaborate and create value. Yeah. Well, the thing is, because we're never going to get over ourselves, are we? As long as we remain un kind of manipulated by something artificial, there's going to be emotions. There's going to be feeling small and shitty about stuff. There's going to be wanting to connect and wanting to belong and all of these things. And as long as we are like that, then art will, has always been a solver. I just love so much about what you're saying, Florian, too, about the the slowing down. That's what we've also really tried to investigate in this podcast together. It's like daring to dwell a little bit, you know? Everything these days in communication in corporations, you try to say as much as possible, as fast as possible, and get to an end result. While it's like the conversation art, actually, if you really want to go into it and have some fun with conversations, they're not so much fun as long as they're linear. They're much cooler when you manage to explore a little bit and go back over something and dwell a little bit and give something time to stew. And it's Kahneman, isn't it? If you do the thinking fast and slow and you think about the neuroscience. And then finally, I just wanted to comment too, which is brilliantly said by you and so, so true. The generations below us tend to come with values, at least some of them. If you go far enough down, you'll find that people who like are into sustainability and things. And I'm like, you know, we're calling them values. They're just trying to save the planet, for God's sake. (laughs) It's kind of like, yeah, yeah. It's kind of beyond values at this point. What are we learning from today, Florian? What are we learning from this conversation? What can we take away? I think you said something very important now about the generations, right? And you said they are saving the planet. Hopefully they will do because we are more ruining it, right? And for example, sitting with Swiss Re and before that Munich Re, trust me, it's a tremendously striking topic for us, right? Because we do ensure all these huge natural catastrophe events and the money we have to pay it, the frequency in which they happen is rising, right? Tremendously in some cases. And yeah, these people try to save the world, but at the end, honestly, they're trying to save their own lives, right? If we are very bluntly on that. I mean... For me personally, what I always try to do, and this would be one thing I love also to take the people along after this podcast, is like, never neglect the human being, right? I mean, so much, your stomach, your gut tells you so much in your life and you trust it. And often companies pretend to be machines, right? with gear wheels and steering and when you turn it there when you turn a then b happens but it's not the case we're all human beings and i mean i loved what you said earlier about what's happening also with zoom and so on at the end 
we are so much happy or so much looking forward to meet our colleagues, right? I mean, most people are not looking forward to get back in the office. Okay, that might be different when you have a 10 and a 12 year old at homeschooling at home. My little daughter is just 15 months and just beautiful and doesn't annoy me too much in that respect. But at the very end, why have we been suffering? We have been suffering because of the lack of human contact, right? And also business, I mean, it's not all. I mean, let's not over-exaggerate, but at the very end, most of it is built on relationships, right? Normally, yeah. you don't even sell your tech because your tech is so superior. The sell itself is done because a buyer and a seller have a human connection, right? So for now, we are summing up some pretty important stuff about that's really kind of dawning on me about artificial intelligence and then artificial emotional intelligence. So as long as we remain at the steering wheel, touch wood, let's hope it's for a couple of decades more, we need to take into consideration the human factor every time and in everything we do. And we need to face that in. And the sooner the better, I guess, we need to also face it into how we work with artificial intelligence. I'm sure they're doing it already. So you factor that in too. So it becomes a part of the board game. It becomes a part of what's actually emerging and evolving from it. I have heard, of course, this is app, I'm sure you've heard of it, where you can, because one of the big ways in which we convey emotions to one another is, of course, through the tone of the voice. Not the content, but the tone, the tempo, the pitch, the everything of how the voice sounds. And there is apparently this app now that you can download and you can train your own voice. Did you hear about it? No, I haven't. Why didn't you tell me before that podcast? <laughs> oh, you don't need it, darling. You're doing fine. I haven't tried it. I should try it myself. But what you do is you record something into it and it will give you a feedback on how you're coming across. And then you can start monitoring and managing how you actually, because emotions are so super duper conveyed by the voice. It's one of the most important, of course, body language too. May I jump, shortly jump in there? I think that is super important because the example is so nice, right? In my humble point of view, but it's really my humble point of view, and presumably it's only once again the human side and it's a mixture between wish and fear, but I think it's going to be a together, right? It's not going to be this humans versus AI Normally, it's always the stupid human starting wars, right? Presumably, it will not be the AI starting it. But I think... Touch wood. <laughs> Touch wood. Uh, we're going to help Touch each wood. other. Yeah, I mean, good thing we've been talking about, right? What would an AI need to start a war? Emotions. Because without fear, because without feelings, why should it start a war? I mean, no reason for that, right? Yeah, but as you said, it's supportive and it's super interesting. Have you heard about Zoom fatigue? A thing that is yes. mostly happening to yes. women yeah. because people get overstressed by these Zoom meetings, trying to read gestures and as the tone pitch of people's voices. And funny enough, mm -hmm. I mean, if we were honest being men, we know that women are pretty much smarter than we are. But uh, yeah, women are so much more affected by it. And it's really yeah. exhausting. It's considered to be an illness now because people try to read the counterparty as they would do on an on-location meeting. And it doesn't work because you have this short lags between reality and video 
makes it decouple. And yeah, it's an illness these days. And also talking about the tone of voice, because the platforms that we are on, the Zoom and the WebEx and the Teams or whatnot, in order to be efficient, they flatten the tone of voice. This is why we're all shouting to one another the whole time. Do you know how many Teams meetings have you been in when you're going, okay, everyone, and so now it's me, and I'm going to tell you this, and it's like, ah, you know, the, the voice is like, ah, it's terrible. And I'm exhausted at the end of the day. I remember it just about a year ago when we'd had the pandemic kind of really shut us down for the first six months or whatever, or like four months, and the people I spoke to who were the most exhausted were the therapists, because they'd been sitting online trying to do therapy in this kind of flattened, weird digital universe. Then you can start describing fatigue for sure. Can I shortly comment on that? I think this is also a very interesting point because we've been also talking about digitalization, right? I mean, just reflect what this is. Is this digitalization or I'm always talking about electrifying formerly analog processes sitting on WebEx? Mm -hmm sitting on Zoom at the very end, and yeah, that is now a little bit very straightforward, but it's telephone, right? Aside from the right. video, which you could also have on your phone, it does not add anything really value on a digital uh, way. For example, why don't we get a transcript of this discussion afterwards? Just like automatically, for example, as a very simple and kind of stupid digital value add, but however. So I think also here we are just on the edge of real digitalization. Oh, that is so true. Oh, that's a piece of innovation right there, Svetlana. We must bring it back to DT. Svetlana, <laughs> are you ready to try and kind of steer this ship to port? Is there any yeah, method I, to our madness? I, Where have, I have another element which I wanted to add to the human-centricity discussion. And I think it was also mentioned by some of us in the conversation today is about being the whole person, wholehearted person at work. Yeah, And that's also what makes us very different from the machines and from the AI present at work. And what I mean behind it is actually it's very hard these days to separate where you are at work, where you're at home. What are you thinking about? Are you thinking about work? Are you thinking about the movie you watched? So it becomes so integrated. And I think these days in Florida, it would be really great to hear your reflections in here. I think this connection and also for the leadership, for this new normal, new humanity, it is important to take it into consideration. It's important to kind of connect to people and uh, sometimes even celebrate Live events, you know, whether it's the birth of a child or it might be the birthday or it's anniversary at work. So um, that becomes, in a way, I think, a part of setting the scene that you set. Yeah. So it's a part of creating that environment. So it's not just about work. It is about human centricity of the whole being. What do you think about it, Florian? That's a philosophical one, right? I think it's well, also yeah, all practical. <laughs> I think it's also <laughs> something around diversity, right? And at the end it's about being authentic. I mean, presumably with being this whole human being I am, I heavily annoy some of my colleagues, right? Because they aren't. They way more introverted than I mm. am. So at the very end I think it's about being authentic. It's no need that everyone is this outgoing whatever person, but be mm -hmm. just the person you are 
and have also a culture that accepts that, right? That's so funny, isn't it? When it comes to hiring, when it comes to HR concepts, when it comes to companies itself, we all talk about diversity. At the very end, we still have processes in place that try to avoid this, right? I mean, being, I don't know, I don't have the numbers, but just grab a huge one like Siemens or any of these companies with the hundreds of thousands of employees, seems to be a little bit challenging with 380,000 individuals who are super diverse. And so you need also this combining factor. But I mean, the story about being yourself, I would want to share a story that really stroked me during pandemic times now. Being that design thinker, interviewer, customer interaction guy I am, we regularly interviewed board members of insurance, IT, and consulting companies. Mm. And one insurance board member who is responsible also for the claims part of the operation was sharing a story around how different it is to sit in a claims call center and having a super aggressive, disappointed customer on the other side of the line And how much of a difference it is if this happens in a secure call center, office environment, corporate, professional building. You leave at home and literally close the door and then it sits in the building compared to how it was now when while this was happening, you still saw your children playing in front of you and all this aggression, this pain, this fear immediately reached your home, right? Your castle. I never thought about it, but just try to imagine how different that is. So in the world of yoga, they have this terminology. It took me far too long to understand what it means. But when they talk about vinyasa in yoga, they talk about the idea that If you do something, you do something, you do whatever you do, and then you recover by stretching, breathing, doing a kind of pattern that gets your whole body kind of, you know, back into zero. And then you do the next thing you do, and then you recover. And so the idea of, I think it's vinyasa was the terminology, it means that if you do that recovery well, over time, what you're doing in between i.e. the postures in yoga, will get better. So if we take this back into human life and sitting in the corporate world, I think it's so vitally important that if you have a job like what you just described, that you have some kind of system to recover, that you have somewhere to put all the aggression that's coming yeah. your way and yeah. somewhere to put away the frustration. And of course, the old days, where did we used to recover? On our ways to work, on our ways from work, Right. You'd sit there on the tram or whatever and you go, oh, or you'd call your friend and go, oh, my God, you know. And these are just very human ways of just kind of letting go of the disturbance, the physical disturbance that any emotion actually represents. And so I think what we need to teach people is to keep recovering, even though we're sitting Mindfulness. at home. Mindfulness, yes. Take the timeouts. Yeah. And once again, culture, right? I mean, not only recovery, but also digesting, sorting yourself. I mean, some days, look at our schedules during COVID. Hopefully my world looks a little different, knock on wood there, but seeing my line managers or, or higher hierarchy levels, I mean, they are scheduled in, I don't know, 15, 30, 45, 60 minute slot 
from the morning till the evening. When they take their bio break, I wouldn't want to know, right? It must happen <laughs> during one of those calls. Uh, but <laughs> the interesting part, as you said, it's about recovery, but it's also about your mental, your brain kind of drawer thing, right? You need to yeah. have time to reflect what happened the last 20, then let's yes. take an ideal world, not 30 minutes meeting, but 25 minutes meeting with a five minutes break. So you have this five minutes to reflect, take notes, what happened, what did the people say, and it doesn't happen. And one psychologist, right. I also read an article about that, so I can't recall which one, but he said, When you don't do this, this reflection part, it's like the meeting had not happened, right? Here's the headless chicken reality of the corporations. So many of the corporations I see these days, we're all running around doing and doing and doing and then never digesting. There's one final tip in here for us all, and we have to start looking towards rounding off this conversation, don't we? But I think I just want to bring us back. You know, when you talk about call center communication, because I've seen a lot of it over the years, and I've even trained a lot of people in call centers, and I find it incredibly, they are warriors of any corporation, because if you're trying to behave nicely, and then just think about the way that a lot of us allow ourselves to behave when we call fellow human beings and ask for things, right? So if there's one kind of big uh, final morale of this story, I think it's Guys, behave! Stop it. If, if this episode made the life of a call center agent better, I mean, it would be way yeah. more than I ever dreamed to have it. Then we are happy because they're going to become AI. They probably already are. Svetlana? I will take it with me. If no five minutes recovery, if no five minutes reflection on the meeting, it didn't happen. Florian, I'll take it with me in, the, in my corporate life. Thank you so much, Hannah, Florian. It has been a really engaging and for me, very enriching conversation. Trying to really understand what human centricity is. What is it for innovation, for diversity? What is it for leadership, for the skills we need to have? And I think we rounded off very nicely with authenticity and mindfulness. So thank you very much, Florian. It was really fantastic. There's still yeah. one thing missing, right? It's all about love at the very end. Yes. Absolutely. And now, guys, we need to take five minutes to reflect on what just took place. Okay, guys, before we move it into It did happen. It did happen. <laughs> Stay safe. What a delight to have you on the show, Florian. Thank you so much. Hope to meet you in real life someday. Really hope to. And thank you so much for inviting me. I really loved the conversation. Thank you so much. And keep on thank doing you. what Stay you safe. do. Thank you. Yes. And you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye -bye. To find out the deeper meaning of talent and its human aspects in business environments, subscribe to the Human Centric Podcast and stay tuned.